The teaching text today comes from both Romans chapter 12 and Psalm 23. Romans 12, 1 to 2 reads like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So to start, a little story. Uh, many moons ago, I was invited by one of my friends to go and do this thing called yoga. I don't know if you've heard of the yogas. Uh, this was a novel idea at the time when I was an undergrad. Not because yoga was novel, I just, I was aware of it as a thing, like a phenomenon, but it had never touched down in my life. And so there I was with the invitation and he was dating this girl who was all into the yogas. And so um, he needed some emotional support, i.e. me. And so he comes to me, he makes his case, and then he says, and this particular yoga studio, there's a special. Now, whether this was accidental or intentional, he didn't know that I grew up in a household with coupons. And so to say special meant that he was touching on a deeply encoded consumer habit in my life. Like special means this. If you don't spend the money, you're losing out. It's like if, if there's a special, well, you better get it or else like you're, you're, you're basically irresponsible fiscally. So, that, so he said special, the deal was done. I was going to get this month-long, which $30 for a month-long thing at a yoga studio, I actually have come to know that that's a really good deal, unlimited. So there I find myself doing yoga, which is basically really intense stretching in a, it was hot yoga, in a super hot room with an eclectic group of people. So uh, what I mean is that there I am, and, and people in, this, in the studio, they are effortless, effortlessly moving from pose to pose. It's like they're dancing. And I am straining against my anatomy. Me, a college athlete, I am sweating profusely. And then there's like elderly women doing headstands. And, and this, is, this was kind of like the cherry on top. The instructor of the class was a bit patronizing in their tone. I guess uh, matronizing to be specific, but nevertheless, like everybody else, they came over and they kept correcting me. And so at this point, the class progresses and for an hour we're doing this. And then it all leads towards this thing where apparently you lay in the pool of your own sweat like a corpse. So all the work we were doing was going toward the corpse. Now I, I uh, I was in a season of life where I could not let my pride sit. Like I, I had the option of not returning, but because the old women were standing up, I went back. In each class, all of the work progressed toward that end to like lie like a corpse. 
And I, I didn't quite get this, but because I wanted to you know, get my money's worth, I had to keep going back. And every single time, the instructors would say, all of those movements are for this end. It's all moving toward this one thing, this final destination of rest. What's curious is that I was also a brand new Christian at this time, and so I really had no idea how to plot rest in my life because Jesus had come to save my soul, but I didn't know how that came to bear on my body. I didn't, I didn't know that God actually cared about the rest, like the whole person. Um, I've come to see that that's actually like intensely biblical, that God cares about all of us. But was, as I was thinking about rest this week, we're in this series on Sabbath, this, this came to my mind. And this, particularly this question is like, is that the rest that God's pointing us toward? to like basically model death like a corpse on the ground, to just work and work and work and work, and then finally, in the pool of our own sweat, blood, and tears, and, you know, like humble pie, there we are. Like, is that the rest and renewal that God has on offer? That's kind of a loaded question. I hope if you've been listening, you might think my answer, no, like, no, that's not. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be flippant or morbid or silly, but, but if yoga is trying to get our bodies out of the way so that we can rest, literally exhaust you through movements so that you can um, be rid, and this is the language that's used in kind of yogic practices, it's like so that you can get your body out of the way to get in touch with the passenger inside. By the way, that is not the biblical imagination around the body. You have a body that God cares for, and God is interested in renewing and restoring. When Jesus came back from the grave, he came back in a body. So I don't think that that is the rest that God is inviting us into in Christ. So I'm of the mind that God actually has something far richer than modeling death in Sabbath. Although if you've been trying to put Sabbath into practice, it might feel like death because perhaps you're realizing that, my goodness, I have a pace in my life that is unsustainable. And, and you know what, what we can say is like, oh, this is a season. And I, I just want to say I am well aware that by taking up a Sabbath practice in a church like ours over the past month, that I'm, I'm like asking you to rearrange your whole life. This is a, not a small thing. But what I want to challenge you with here on the front end is that we have a rebuttal. And I've, I say it myself, this is a season. Seasons can become lifestyle if we don't intersect them. That's what this, this series is. It is a moment for you to pause and reflect so that, not so that you can be condemned, but so that you can be refreshed. So that you don't say like, oh, this is just a season and then later on I'll do this thing. Well, maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is the moment that we can turn toward rest. And so... What is that rest? Well, I hope that our teaching texts kind of guide us into this. Uh, here again, Paul's exhortation to the, the churches in Rome once more. This is a little mashup that I got from uh, Marvadon. This is the NIV slash J.B. Phillips translation. So let this just enrich your soul. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, as an act of intelligent worship, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove in practice, and listen to this, that the plan of God for you is good acceptable and moves toward the goal of true maturity. 
Now, I, I get that this might sound like an odd place to continue our discussion on the Sabbath, because most likely you've heard this passage quoted of like, you're, you're maybe trying to take captive some thoughts, or you're talking about uh, discipleship or formation, sanctification, so you want your mind to be renewed. This is where a geeky pastor like me would talk about neuroplasticity. I want us to see what's going on in here, that there's something more. See, so let's just w work our way through this. My guess is, is that you desire, and your body being here in the steratorium, <laughs> like by virtue of you being here, my guess is that you desire an experience of the power of God so that you might be transformed to maturity. At some level, I'm guessing that that's working out in your life, which by the way, that is the goal of Paul's letter here, so that people would move toward maturity by the transforming power of the Spirit. And I'm guessing that you would even be willing to recognize that multiple facets of your life, from your work to the things that you do for fun to like the actual, like your actual body, your soma, like this all has the potential to be worship. And, and lastly, I'd venture to guess that you're open to God's mercy. Are any of you here closed to God's mercy today? No, bless God. He's, he's here to offer mercy. His mercy is more. We sing about this. But, but what I want you to notice in this and maybe you haven't, and it's not as though I, I don't think I've ignored this, but I just hadn't like tasted how delicious this morsel is in, the, in this passage. Um, Paul wants to include you in this. And this is not me trying to stroke your ego with the Bible or trying to center you in God's story. No, this is firmly about Jesus. But Paul explicitly makes this not about you, but he includes us. Just, just listen to this. Paul is inviting you and me to open to God's mercy, to partner with God in worship, ascribing worth to God with our bodies so that transforming renewal can flood our lives. Open to God's mercy, partnering in worship with our bodies for transformation and maturity's sake. So I'd like to propose to you that the rest that we long for, that it does not arrive through the absence of our bodies, through exhausting ourselves and lying like a corpse in our own sweat. No, like our rest doesn't come at the end of exhaustion, but it comes through, as Paul says, offering our bodies to God. Rest comes as we release ourselves, the whole of our lives into God's care. In other words, and if you like to take notes, this is for you, rest is where our striving ceases so God's loving action can begin. Rest is where our striving ceases so God's loving action can begin. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore kind of the how of that. We're going to talk about feasting and play and delight because the Sabbath is not a killjoy in the biblical imagination. No, the Sabbath is where you like, there's a psychological principle called pleasure stacking. You take all of the good things. I'm going to ask you to design a day of delight, like starting at the, in the evening and just feasting your guts out. Maybe not your guts, like feasting and sleeping, sleeping in with abandon, like giving the children a special, I don't we're going to do that. We're going to talk about the how. But, but if rest, like Sabbath rest, the rest that brings us to God and places us in his loving care, if that is going to be fully and willfully embraced, not like, oh, my pastor said I ought to do this. If it's going to be willfully by your own decision, if it's going to be embraced, then I think we need a vision of how God rests us. 
Like, what does it mean to actually cease and offer our striving up to God with our whole bodies? See, we're like a month long into this Sabbath curiosity um, where we're exploring the Sabbath as more than a parable or spiritual ideal, but as an embodied practice that has like a gift to give us, namely God's own presence. We can participate in it, not as obligation, not as duty, but as a place of delight. And I, I, I want us, I want us um, to just rest assured that the question that is most pressing still is how. This is what I've been doing this whole time. There are these little things called like aperitifs. It's a drink that's supposed to stimulate your appetite. Um, or this is, think about appetizers. Those are supposed to like, I don't know, get your desire for the main course up. Imagine all these teachings as little aperitifs, little appetizers. And the, the feast is coming, my friends. The feast is coming. I want today to kind of like draw up in you an appetite for rest, for the God who will rest you because we cannot manufacture our rest. How will I actually rest? This is the most pressing question that remains. And as significant as the how is, again, we'll, we'll look at what it looks like to have a vision for offering our bodies to God, for placing us ourselves into God's loving care. But we need, we need today to know, like, well, what does it mean for God to rest me? And I can think of no image as potent as that as Psalm 23. And so it, with the remainder of our time, I just want us to work our way through Psalm 23 bit by bit to see the God who is willing to work in us for our rest. How's that sound? So if you've, if you've been to Psalm 23 before, if you've heard teachings on it before, I'm not saying like throw that stuff aside, but perhaps hold some space for God to fill that thing with renewed meaning, with significance. And so if you would just hear Psalm 23 again, if you would, I'm a, a little weird, you know this by now, but if you're, if you're willing and able, would you like close your eyes and, and open up your hands as just like posturing yourselves. This again is me saying offering up your bodies to God. And as you hold your hands open, just as a physical way of saying, God, I, I'm ready to receive what you might have. Here's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And maybe even under your breath, you can just say these words with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can open your eyes. I I don't know what images populate in your mind. I, I don't know if you think of actual sheep. I don't know if you're thinking of pastures or what those things are. See, there's a familiarity we have with this psalm. And I, let us not discount the primary image that the psalmist uses in verses 1 to 4. It is that of a shepherd and sheep. 
See, the psalmist starts off portraying Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. What we see translated as capital L-O-R-D, that is the covenant, the intimate name of God. So the psalmist is portraying Yahweh as a shepherd who provides for the needs of his sheep and protects them from danger. The psalmist declares this explicitly, the Lord is my shepherd, and then develops that metaphor throughout verses one to four. And for some of us, that language is not only clunky, but it's a little condescending. I, I had the pleasure of like working on a sheep farm and sheep do funny things. Um, it's not as though they're dumb, but it's not a flattering image. Sheep will almost mindlessly follow one another. Even if um, like, like sheep led to the slaughter, that is a real expression. They will just go into the place that will lead to their death. So this is, although we can take this image and go, oh, it's not flattering. But remember, this is, this is likely King David. This is the least among Jesse's sons that when Samuel comes, God prompts Samuel to go and choose a king from Jesse's sons. Like David's not there. Where is he? He's out tending to the flock. So it's likely that this is an image of intimacy and vulnerability and care. This comes from his work and his world. And just check this out in verse one. This almost carries the whole psalm. This is beautiful right here. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Like everything flows from that reality. When have you ever met someone and you ask them how, you're, how they're doing. You know, we have these awkward conversations at cocktail hours or work or church um, where you meet somebody and they, the typical response is, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. When inside they're actually weeping, the, like the, the, the tears of Sheol. Um, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. And then this one, how are you doing? Living the dream. By the way, what does that mean? No one? Okay. I, I still, whenever I hear that, I just go, I don't, what dream are you living? Maybe you have never had somebody say that to me. I get it often enough that it, it confuses me, so I thought I'd field it here. Apparently, it's confusing to you. So, so but, but imagine this moment. You ask somebody, hey, how's it going? Quite well, thanks for asking. Um, I lack nothing. Now, I understand that that would be a rather strong response to a question. You'd be like, who is this person? The audacity that they have. But just imagine, and maybe it doesn't come through that way. Maybe they're honest. Maybe their capacity to say that they lack nothing means that they can actually name the pain in their life. How's it going? Well, um, this is actually one of the hardest seasons I've had in my life. And, not but, and I, I have a community that I know is for me, or and I, like I don't, however that goes, I think there's a type of security that extends from that place. But I mean, just those words, I lack nothing. It almost sounds absurd. And so naturally the psalmist goes on, like, what do you mean you're lacking nothing? Oh, let me tell you, this is who my shepherd is. This is how he rolls. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is, this is not a forceful image of a shepherd like with hand on the nape of the neck of the sheep, like forcing them down. No, the, the Hebrew word here is a fun word. You try this with me. It's yar b'tseni. Give it one more try. Yar b'tseni. There you go. It, it carries the idea that Yahweh, this good shepherd, allows the sheep to lie down. It's as though Yahweh's not in a rush. There's no forceful nature to this. But that's not on. The psalmist goes on to say it's not only that, that Yahweh allows him to lie down in green, green pastures, he actually leads him beside quiet waters. And now this is beautiful. 
As the psalmist reflects on the felt experience of being led by God, he describes it with plenty and refreshment. In a, a more literal and I think helpful translation of the second bit of that verse, it goes like this. He leads me to water of the resting places. Now, I know the English is clunky and awkward there. He leads me to water of the resting places. But are you beginning to get a sense, even here just in the first couple of verses, of the God to whom we are to offer our bodies? The God to whom we are called to offer our bodies in Romans 1. This is the God who leads us to water of resting places, who leads us to places of abundance, green pastures. He's bringing us to calm and abundance, and there's more. See, this is what's so beautiful, at least to me, is the word that's often translated still or quiet in relation to the waters here in verse 2. It's the Hebrew word menuchot. This, this word, and you know, the Hebrew, the language, it only matters when it does, and otherwise don't worry about it. But like this word is beautiful because it's rooted in the creation story. This is so rad. So let me just nerd out on you. So tuck in here for a moment. Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who's a, a Jewish philosopher and scholar, he, his work on the Sabbath makes the case that creation itself was not complete until God rested. It wasn't complete until God Manuhad. Now, Menuhot comes from the word Manuha. In Genesis 2.2, we read, By the seventh day, God had finished his work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested or Manuhad from all his work. Manuha, it isn't the absence of work, meaning things to avoid, but it was created as the time and the place of rest and fulfillment. When the psalmist thinks of where God leads, when the psalmist has entrusted themselves because they lack nothing into God's care, into the hands of their good shepherd, they are going to be led to the waters of Manuha. Come on. The beauty of that. And take note of the result here. Check out verse 3. What's the result of being led to the waters of refreshment? This. He refreshes my soul. And we don't just simply have a soul, a disembodied thing that floats off when we are like a corpse on the ground. No, we are a soul. This is who we are. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. I don't know if, I, I don't know if you hear this. For his namesake? God has a vested interest in your refreshment. A shepherd would be measured by their reputation to care for what? Not a rhetorical question. The shepherd has a, like a vested interest in caring for what? The sheep. It is literally their reputation. That's whenever you read in the scriptures about the name of God. It's not about saying like GD, but it is about the name, the reputation. The shepherd's reputation is on the line if the sheep are not cared for. For his namesake, he leads the sheep along right paths. In other words, when we offer our bodies to God, when we intentionally place ourselves in his care and enter Sabbath as a container of delight, you're calling upon God to be God. 
This is not cajoling or manipulating God, but if you know who God is and you expect God to act according to God's character, when you place yourself in the Sabbath, you're going, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, here I am. You said you'd never leave me, you said you'd never forsake me, you said you would care for me in my time of need. Refresh me, God. Now, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not like full-on Pentecostal. I think the Spirit is active and alive and available to us in the life of the church today. Um, Sabbath is where we actually get to put that into practice. I, I cut my teeth in the church in a place that really holds to the sovereignty of God, the meticulous will, like even this image of like the dust particles floating through the air. That's God by His sovereign will holding those together. Now, regardless of what you think about that theological framework, I'm not interested in having a conversation right now about that. The Sabbath is where you get to put your money where your mouth is. If you really do think that God is in control of all things, then place yourself in His care. The psalmist has an embodied sovereignty. They actually believe the stuff about God that God says about God's self. So will we. Sabbath is a container where we get to like say, God, here I am. Are you going to do what you said you would do? I mean, this is not putting God to the test, by the way. This is just allowing God to be who God wants to be for us and with us. How cool is this? My kids will ask me for everything. They will literally come. Uh, last Sunday, we have this family-style gathering. We have some new toys that are out for the small humans. And there's this uh, dump truck. Griffin finds the dump truck, and he's walking over here. Jessica goes, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm going to ask Dad to take this off. So he's, he's, he just knows he's going to come into this space. When he comes to me, he can ask me anything. Do you know that there's a time each week that's set apart by God that he invites us to just bring all of our stuff? This can be a part of it, gathered worship, but the Sabbath, oh my gosh, it's to receive God as shepherd, us as, as his sheep for his namesake. All right, I, I got a little carried away and off my notes there, so let's keep going here, folks. That is what it is to offer our body. God's reputation is on the line. Sorry, I just want to stay here one moment long. Did you know, did you know that as followers of Jesus, this is what God wants to do? Did you know, like in Luke chapter 12, it is God's delight to give you the kingdom. Those are Jesus' words. God delights in giving you the kingdom. I mean, because he is a good father, he wants to wash us in the waters of refreshment. Come on. And perhaps as I'm saying all this, you feel nothing but like a flood of rebuttals. You don't know the pace of my life. You don't know the season that I'm in. You don't know my boss. Like, you have no clue about the pain and circumstances that our family is wrestling with. And you're right. I, I don't. I don't know the full extent. I don't. But what I know is that when we offer our bodies to God as an act of intelligent worship or reasonable worship, it repositions us in our pain and our trials. It repositions us so we might receive. The psalmist goes on in verse 4. So I'm not just making this up. Check this out. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, Yahweh, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23 confronts us with the underlying reality of God's provision. 
Yes, in the typical ways. There are green pastures and waters of rest. There's like goodness there, but also in the neglected spaces of our lives, the things we don't want to look at, the places of darkness. God says, you will find me there. And what am I doing? I am providing for you. I'm providing emotional stability when the bottom has fallen out. You know, it's often at the end of ourselves that we find God. And it's not as though we have to get to the end of ourselves to find God, but it's just there where our pride has been humbled enough that we can see God more clearly. What if you didn't have to get to the end of yourself to open yourself to God? Sabbath is that place where we open ourselves to the loving care of God. In some of life's most threatening situations, God is there as our good shepherd. And I submit, I often have these like daydreams, um, probably far too often, where I'd be like, it would be so nice if there was no turmoil. Do you remember COVID? Sometimes I'm just like, oh, that would, I just, that would have been lovely if that hadn't happened. Uh, wishful thinking. But you know what, what was exposed in that time was our character. Like stuff came out of us. And it would be nice if there was no turmoil or manipulative bosses or threats or pain or mass shootings or systemic injustice because that would mean rest was our default. But here's reality. The life we live. Reality faces us. Reality faces us with rebellion against God. Reality faces us with pain in our bodies and death. Reality faces us with frustration and anxiety. Reality faces us with sin, like in us and around us. And we can like ignore that or we can name it and then also name the God who conquered sin, Satan, and death so we might have a way through it, not to bypass it, but to be joined with him in the valley of deep darkness. Church, are, are we hearing this? Are we, here, like, are, we, are we on the same page here? Just some nods of affirmation. God is with us in the deepest valleys. He's with us in the places of plenty. And God wants us to be there, to offer our bodies to him. This is the one to whom we're offering our bodies, the God who provides. See, the hope of Psalm 23 is not in verses 1 and 2. It's not in the waters of refreshment. It's not just common ease. The hope is the surprising arrival of refreshment in the darkness. It is the surprise that God is with us in the pain, in the depression, in the financial stress. It's that God is there. That is the hope of rest. You see, our God is the type of God who wants to draw near to comfort us. The psalmist says, your rod and your staff your instruments of care are present to me. This is the one to whom we're called to offer our bodies. And then something happens in the, in the psalm, in verses 5 and 6. It's as though God's provision is so rich, so enduring, so vibrant, that the psalmist has to switch metaphors. And he goes from provision all of a sudden into this place of decadence. In verse 5, the psalmist shifts, and it's like this royal banquet. Just listen to this again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. This is this uh, visual image of blessing. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days in my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, it's so interesting. You would expect that the psalmist's enemies would pursue him that they would be the ones chasing him down unto death. And when you read the Psalms, that's often the case. I mean, if indeed, like David is the one crying out to God, yielding his complaint, it's often because his like own family members are trying to kill him. Um, so if you have any family strife, just turn to the Psalms because you'll find words to express your grief. You would expect that the Psalmist, David would like, his enemies would chase him, but what's chasing him down? Just look at this. It's Yahweh's goodness. It's Yahweh's love that chase him down and remind him that his true residence is to be in the house of the Lord. That is his status as a beloved son in the house. He is the one who will dwell in the house of the Lord. Church, Sabbath rest is God's open table for you. It is God's open table for you and me prepared in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our anxiety, in the presence of our legalism, in the presence of our shame. See, to enter Sabbath rest is to literally practice God's sovereignty. And I've found that the Sabbath, what it does is it strains my trust. It actually requires of me to ask, like, will I trust God to be who God says he is? I, I mean, th this is the practice that it invites us into. Is he indeed the one who will lead me to the water of Manuha? Will he restore my soul, or will I try once again to restore my soul on my own terms? I, this will take intentionality. Over the next, and it doesn't have to be drudgery. That's why uh, we're gonna have this next week. Moses is gonna come and talk about prayer and like a heart of prayer and like how the rhythms of of, of scripture give us this kind of rest in prayer. But uh, we're gonna talk about cultivating feasting and delight. So it's not drudgery. It actually has a different felt experience. But it does strain our trust. Like, will we actually do this thing? And I just, I want to be clear, um, I'm not inviting you to do another thing. <laughs> and it might feel like that, and you're like, well, kind of, yeah, kind of you are. But no, 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 let me be really clear, I'm not. I'm not asking you to add another thing to your crowded life. I'm not asking you to add something in addition to your bills or relationships or commitment or friendships. What I'm asking you to do is to enter into something and possibly cut some things out. I don't know which is harder, me asking you to do something or me asking you to give something up. But um, I think, you can disagree with me, that's your prerogative, I actually think that if you allow some things to die, that it'll make room in your heart. We sing this song around here every once in a while about um, God bearing good fruit, like being good soil. If you, do you remember this parable? Jesus talks about scattering the seeds of his word, that some are, are picked right up, some fall on the rocky ground, they're picked up by the birds, some go into a place, they barely like, get their roots, but then uh, they're overcome. But then there's this, this soil, this third soil, where the, it takes root, but it's crowded out by the concerns of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. What if the invitation of Sabbath was for you to do some like 
holy slaughtering in the name of Jesus. I, I, I liked punk rock music in the middle school and high school. So like there's something like a, oh, a little defiant spirit. What if you could anim- like turn that energy to say, what is blocking me from being received by my good shepherd? And then you say in the name of Jesus, I'm going to put that thing to death. That sounds like a faith worth living into. And it's your decision to make. I'm not going to cajole you into it. I will certainly invite you and challenge you, but cajole and manipulate I will not do. Paul urges us in light of God's mercy, we're coming to a close, to offer our bodies, our real embodied life to God, the one who with wisdom and power has the capacity to restore our soul. This is not a pipe dream. We can actually do this. <laughs> like, by the way, um, Jewish communities have been keeping the Sabbath for hundreds, thousands of years. We can actually do this. It can be a place where we can experience wholehearted renewal. We can offer ourselves to God in the place of, a, of Sabbath as a, as a container for rest and delight. We can offer ourselves into the hands of our good shepherd. And God himself will bring us to the waters of Renewha. Remember, rest is where our striving cease and God's action can begin. See, sometimes the audacity of the Sabbath is, is that it positions us as those who are worthy of receiving God's love. The work for you around Sabbath might just be to reckon with with the fact that God wants to give you something good, that God's inviting you to open yourself to his love. I've spent most of the time as a follower of Jesus straining to work with God. I don't know if that relates to any of you. Like, who, who am I as a follower of Jesus? I, I'm the one who teaches, or I'm the one who evangelizes, or I'm the one who serves, or I'm the one who volunteers. Like, th- my work is like a, a, a working relationship, but God in the Sabbath is inviting us into a friendship to be with him. And that's the end, to be cared for by God. And Sabbath rest is not like self-care. It's more than a corpse pose at the end of some hot, sweaty mess of life. It is where we allow God's love in us to move us into creation. We ask him to show us what will restore us and invites us from a working relationship with God to a friendship, to a place of intimacy and vulnerability and care. This is the God who says, offer up your bodies. Show up. Like 98% of this is just you showing up. The other 2%, well, that's where God begins to work. And then he slowly inverts that and takes over that space where each week, this is, by the way, this is, this is me closing. This is what the Sabbath feels like on good weeks. It's like, it's, it's Tuesday, Sabbath is coming. It's coming. All right, here we go. We're going to do some preparation. Ooh, we're one day closer. The Sabbath is coming. What are we going to have for dinner? Oh, yeah, it's coming. Griffin's going to start talking about ice cream. Okay, the Sabbath is coming. Oh, my gosh, the Sabbath is here. It's a cornucopia of delight. Oh, I get to sleep in. The Sabbath is here. This is amazing. I'm reading. I'm not doing anything, and I don't feel bad about it. The Sabbath is here. Oh, and the Sabbath is closing. Oh, this is so good. Oh, this was good. Oh, we have some time. This was so rich. The Sabbath closes. Oh my goodness, that was, I feel like I took so many naps. This was amazing. 
And then you know what happens again? It's Tuesday. The Sabbath is coming again. Do you know what, each time, it's like the Sabbath is just waiting there. It's like Christmas every week. There is joy and delight to be had here. And so church, I would, I would invite you, consider the God who wants to rest your soul. Consider the God who wants to be your shepherd. 